By nearly all measures, 2022 is a terrible year for the average investor. Inflation and a host of badly received public policies sent both stock and bond markets to bear territory. Here with a review and some things to think about for the year ahead, certified financial advisor Art Stein. And Art, looking across the TSP returns and all the funds, can you find any good news anywhere? (laughs) Well, it's actually, Tom, good news for people who are still working and still investing because as they, you know, make a contribution from their bi-weekly paycheck, they're buying shares at lower and lower prices. And that's an advantage to them because, you know, it will be years, presumably, before they need to spend that money. And they'll probably have an even higher rate of return for the shares they bought when everything was down. People who are in the worst situation would be like a FERS retiree who needs to withdraw funds from the TSP to supplement his pensions or her pension and Social Security because then they are forced to sell funds when they're down. Now, of course, the G fund wasn't down for the year, but everything else was. What was really unique about last year, 2022, was that the F fund had the worst decline in its history, and it was the only time that it has had a negative rate of return for two straight years. So it's really been bad for bonds. But of course, one thing that I would say is it makes bonds a pretty good investment right now because the yield, the rate of return that they're getting from interest payments is now higher than it was. But it's still small consolidation to many people because they worry about the losses that they see in their quarterly and annual reports, and they were major. Now, the other thing I would say, although the bond fund returns were the worst ever, that's definitely not true of the stock funds. I mean, last year, the C fund was down 18%. I'm not saying that's great, but the average decline for the C fund in the years that it declined is greater than that. So it was not like 2008 where the decline was you know, pretty much record setting. A tough year, but again, if you're employed, take advantage of it and continue to invest in those funds and just hold on till they've gone back up in value. Right. Presuming they will, that we'll have some kind of a normal economy. I mean, it's already showing signs of life. There have been some sparks of upticks in several of the markets. But that idea of buying dollar cost averaging basis, that's still pretty much a cardinal rule, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, past performance, no guarantee of future performance. I don't know anyone who's saying that having gone down, the market's going to stay down forever. We've seen these in the past. And in the past, the markets are always recovered, and I would expect that that would happen at some point in the future. Now, we don't know when. It's not necessarily going to happen this year. I mean, the stock funds and the F fund are up quite a bit in the first two weeks of the year, but that's really not very meaningful. I mean, stock funds were up a lot in the first couple of months of 2020, and then they went down 35%. It's a long-term investment. It's a long-term time horizon. And that's what it's there for. And if, you know, you're basically saving this money for retirement and your retirement could last easily 30 years. And it means that some of the money that you have in the TSP, you're going to need 10, 20, 30 years after you retire. That's a long-term investment. 
We're speaking with certified financial advisor Art Stein, and I don't recall that both the stock and the bond markets were down this significantly in the same year because traditionally most small investor strategies have been to balance with bonds when the stock market is going down and vice versa. Usually they're counter-cyclical. That's not the case this time. So therefore, I guess my question is, do you go back to that balance that you had of stocks and bonds funds that you might have had before this? Well, first of all, Tom, you are correct. This is the first time the stock and bond markets have both been down more than 10% in a calendar year since the 1960s. And of course, that was before there were TSP funds. So we've never seen that in the TSP fund. It's unusual, but it can happen. It can happen again. But it's not a reason not to invest. And it's very clear why the bond funds are down so much. It's because the Federal Reserve wanted interest rates to go up. And they've orchestrated a campaign of interest rate increases to see that that happens. And higher interest rates mean that the value of existing bonds go down, which is what happened to the F fund, that the bonds owned by the F fund have gone down in value. Bonds can go back up again in value if interest rates start to go down. And even if interest rates stabilize, I mean, you eventually see increases in the value of the F fund. So, again, that gets to the question of timing. If you had a 60-40 or a 70-30 with securities versus bonds before all of this, should people think about going back to that now or what? Because I know none of us recommend trying to time markets here. If you thought that an investor in the TSP or just an investor in general thought that 60% in stock funds and 40% in bond funds was an appropriate allocation, I wouldn't change it because stocks have gone down in value or bonds or both. You just need to stick with it. And during years where, say, stocks go down and bonds don't, that's really an opportunity for people to transfer money from their bond funds into their stock funds to maintain their 60-40 portfolio. Right. And for people retired that are on the required minimum distribution, and Congress moved that age out yet, but for people for whom that's too late. Are there any mitigating strategies that they can do from not just a stock bond standpoint, from a financial family management standpoint to somehow offset what might be happening because of required minimum withdrawals when your instinct, if you had a lot of other cash, would be to leave everything in there till there is recovery? Yeah. So with required minimum distributions, once you take the money out, of course, they're going to withhold taxes and you want that to happen. And the money that's left over, you could reinvest and you could put it back in the stock and the bond markets, not in the TSP, obviously, but in a mutual funds that you can get in the private sector. But it is a good time if you have an emergency fund and you need additional amounts from the TSP, then you should think about maybe using some of the emergency fund instead of selling when stocks and bond funds are down in value. Right. So that goes back to the general idea that we harp on is to have that rainy day fund because, in fact, it has been raining. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my firm, we really emphasize to our clients that they should have an emergency fund. And not just three months of expensive, but maybe six months or even 12 months because there are times when you don't want to take money from your investments. 
Now, if it was, you know, 2021, when everything had gone up so much, well, we wouldn't recommend that you take money from your emergency fund instead of from your investments, because that was a time when you could sell investments at a profit. You know, the markets were very high. And so why not lock in some gains and take advantage of that? Now, the other thing that people can try and do, although it's not easy with the TSP, is to, you know, take money out of the G fund instead of any of the other funds because the G fund hasn't gone down in value. The rules are with the TSP, when you take money out, it comes proportionally from all the funds you're invested in. So you really, it's like a two or three step process where you take the money out and then you rebalance in a way that sort of gets you back to what would have happened if you did just take it out of the G fund. And you can tell, even just explaining it's a little complicated, but people can try and do that. Certified financial advisor Art Stein, as always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe to the podcast version wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know take a look at it and see, see you know throw send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when he'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 
And, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to 
uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.